Hello, Hi Rock, and welcome to our daily devotional. We're continuing with our walk through the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to get to see someone we haven't seen in a while, John the Baptist. He's been off the scene, and we're going to find out a little bit about why, and Jesus is going to teach us some things in addition to that. So we're in Luke chapter 7, verses 18 through 35, where we read this. The disciples of John the Baptist told John about everything Jesus was doing. So John called for two of his disciples, and he sent them to the Lord to ask him, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? John's two disciples found Jesus and said to him, John the Baptist sent us to ask, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many people of their diseases, illnesses, and evil spirits, and he restored sight to many who were blind. Then he, then he told John's disciples, Go back to John and tell him what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. After John's disciples left, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. What kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No. People who wear beautiful clothes and live in luxury are found in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, and he is more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. I tell you, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. When they heard this, all the people, even the tax collectors, agreed that God's way was right, for they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and experts in religious law rejected God's plan for them, for they had refused John's baptism. To what can I compare the people of this generation? Jesus asked. How can I describe them? They are like children playing a game in the public square. They complain to their friends, we played wedding songs and you didn't dance, so we played funeral songs and you didn't weep. For John the Baptist didn't spend his time eating bread or drinking wine, and you say, he's possessed by a demon. The Son of Man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say, he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by the lives of those who follow it. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, there are some uh, probably unfamiliar uh, references here and strange details. For those of us who were with us uh, during our Isaiah series, uh, you may rep recognize some of the scriptures uh, that are referred to in here. Um, but one of the details that I was not familiar with before and I came across in a commentary uh, refers to this idea of the reed swaying in the wind. Uh, the, the NLT is a little bit interpretive here about saying a weak reed, but um Back in uh, that day, they didn't have many images that they were exposed to. We live in a uh, world that's saturated with images. We're staring at screens all the time. So it's kind of strange for us to think of the world that they lived in. But there were very few images that people would see on a regular basis. And even there, their interpretation of the law was that they weren't to make uh, images of human beings, what they considered graven images. So even there, there were few images to which they were exposed. But one common source of imagery were the coins that they that they used, and so um, and, and kings would put their imprint on these coins, both their their facial image often and and often some symbol of their power. Like you know, you see 
I don't know, you see the American Eagle on your quarter, you see the symbol of, uh, you know, wisdom on the back of your dollar bill, you see the images of the presidents, these kinds of things. Well, that's the kind of images that they would see on the coins. But what's kind of interesting in this context is that um, Herod, who ruled Galilee, uh, the image that he chose for most of his coins, the symbol he chose, were the Galilean reeds that would be on these coins. And it was intended to be not an image of weakness as the NLT implies here, but rather it was a symbol of fertility and prosperity. And so this was kind of Herod's uh, uh, kind of kingly image. And so it may be that in this case, uh, Jesus is saying like, did you go into the wilderness to find a king? You know, uh, someone who, uh, another uh, person symbolized by these reeds, but no, that's not what they came to see. They came to see something much more than that, a prophet. But this mistaking of, uh, perhaps mistaking of John for a king would also be the problem that the crowds would later have with Jesus, is that they would expect something out of him as a king and be disappointed there as well. And, and one other reference here that isn't clear from the context, but we saw we see in other Gospels, is that John is sending this message while in prison. He's imprisoned in Machaerus, this fortress prison. And so uh, John is perhaps even having... Uh, if, if, if not a crisis of faith, at least a personal crisis, wondering, like, did he get it wrong? Like he was, you know, the, the crowds had all kinds of expectations and we know that they were wrong, but John assumes that like he at least had it right. And, but Jesus isn't meeting his expectations. There's all kinds of unmet expectations in this passage, kingly expectations and otherwise. But for John the Baptist, he was expecting this King, the Messiah. He's preparing the way for him. And Jesus doesn't seem perhaps to be that King, or maybe it's the fact that John is in prison, that he was expecting maybe a better outcome for his ministry than to be uh, imprisoned by Herod and, and shortly thereafter executed. Uh, but Jesus assures everyone that no, John is, you know, of, of anyone born to the human race, John is is at the top of the list. And he gives this kind of enigmatic phrase, um, a statement that, but the least in the kingdom of God is greater than, than he. And I'd love to hear what you have to say about this, Dave. I've, I've heard all kinds of interpretations. Kind of the one I, I, I like and lean towards in that is that as great as we might be under kind of the, the old covenant, the covenant of the law before the coming of grace and the invasion of the kingdom of God, the greatest we might be, be become is, is, you know, amazing. It's like John the Baptist, but in the kingdom of heaven, in the kingdom of God, into which we are all invited, even the least of us will become far more than, than John was uh, before this. And so there's this, um, Jesus is kind of announcing some of the, the ways in which his kingdom is being present to this world. Like all the signs of it coming are these miracles and the healing of lepers and all these things that are heralding the invasion of God's kingdom. And so we should expect that even we will be different within God's kingdom, that, that, those who are in God's kingdom can be even greater than as John than John the Baptist, as great a hero of the faith as he is. Anyway, Dave, I'm wondering what you see in this passage, especially about kind of un, you know, unmet expectations about Jesus or when we have wrong expectations or even just this image of what Jesus is talking about uh, in this last part of the passage. What, what do you see in today's passage? So uh, the first thing I want to pick up on this piece about kind of John's, uh, I think, wavering faith that it, it, I just want to remind everybody who this is. This is John the Baptist is Jesus's cousin, right? This is, remember back in the very early part of Luke, it, this is Elizabeth's son. And so, you know, like they had literally grown up together. They had known each other their whole lives. And so you know, if anybody knew who Jesus was, it's John. 
And so when John is now announcing that this Messiah, it's not like, and he's the one who baptized Jesus earlier in Luke. I mean, John is really in the picture here. And so um, it, it, you know, he's not just a, you know, kind of come at it lately kind of person, right? A lot of other people have questions about who Jesus was. But John is asking very different kinds of questions. And I think you're right. It's based on his, his experience. This isn't working out the way I expected. I assumed that if I, you know, if, if I announce the Messiah, the Messiah comes, right? This kind of falling right out of Elijah. Well, now he's going to vanquish our enemies and we're going to have triumph. And what am I doing here in jail? And, you know, this does not look good for me at the moment. Uh, I mean, I think I'm in some big trouble. And, and I, I think it's disappointment about his own circumstance. I just think it's disappointment overall for kind of what about, what about the victory that we're supposed to have? Jesus isn't doing it the way that I expected. And so he sends these people to ask, uh, so did I get this wrong? And, and you think about how much weight must have been in that, how much the emotion must have been in that, this fear that John has. And I want to point out, uh, I just, as we think about the way that we apply that, there's a kind of doubt that people who know very little about Jesus and very little about the kingdom and have been Christians either not at all or for a very, very short time or only very superficially, there's a kind of doubt that they have, but there's a, a different kind of doubt that's had by the people who've bet everything on Jesus, who who've built their lives on the promises of God. A lot of times when you're doing the right thing and you're doing exactly what God wants and you're in the center of his will, things are not going to go the way that you like and not a way that you would have chosen. And being able to, to just own that disappointment to go, this isn't what I thought would happen. And I, I'm my, my faith is wavering. I'm, I'm questioning. Rather than burying those questions, I think bringing them out and what we see in John is John has these doubts. He's got these hard questions. And who does he go to? Well, he brings them straight to Jesus. Jesus, I'm having these questions. And I think that's actually a really good model for us. You should not be ashamed of your doubts. John the Baptist, the greatest ever born to woman. The John the Baptist had serious questions and concerns, and he brought them to Jesus. And I think we can do that same thing in prayer. It's just ask your hard questions. Bring them to the Lord and, and allow God to, to speak to you in the same way that, that he spoke to John, right? He, he says to John, well, go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk. All of these evidences, wow, God really is doing miraculous things. But, I mean, those are amazing. Still, it wasn't what I expected. I, I thought you were going to be beating up Romans. But you're right. Incredible things are happening, just not the stuff I expected. And I look at my own life. And I can see both things are true. God has done incredible things and not the things that I expected. And in some cases, not things I wanted. But later on and into it, I can realize it's things that are good. Even if in many cases they were really hard. And John was experiencing that. Uh, so that's the, the first thing I think. And we could you know, talk a lot more about that. But I want, want to pick up a couple of things. I think right at the very, very end, this whole thing about the... Um, you know, they complain to their heads, we played wedding songs, you didn't dance. We played funeral songs, and you didn't weep. And there's that sense, uh, I, I think, that that um, a lot of us have the idea with our critics, uh, whether it's people who are crit critical of Christianity or they're just critical of you personally, right? Forget anything about faith. 
that, hey, maybe I can ameliorate that. Maybe I can win them over. And I think for me, especially, I, that just, I've got this confidence. You know what? If I just, if I try hard and I really put my effort in, I, you know, put my best foot forward, I can win them over. But there's a bunch of people, I think that this Jesus is identifying this, they don't want to be won over, right? Republicans do not want to be won over by Joe Biden. They're not be like, you know what? He's a great guy after all. I really underestimated him. And, and Democrats do not want to be won over by Donald Trump, right? It doesn't matter what either of them do. There's going to be a huge number of people who will be critical no matter what they do, right? And, and even if they, they do something that they you know the, those people might have thought was good in another circumstance, well, because that person did it. And I think that we can waste so much of our effort trying to please our critics rather than just living with integrity and realizing that, you know, kind of the, I don't know, colloquial way, right? Hate is going to hate. You know what? They even criticized Jesus and they criticized John the Baptist. John the Baptist, greatest human ever. Jesus, God in the flesh. And they criticized them. Friends, they're going to criticize you. And so stop being so paralyzed by critics. This is actually, I, I say this to all of you, but I, I say it to me, right? You can't be paralyzed by your critics. Instead, you want to listen to your critics and say, is there something I need to learn from them? But if not, or once you've done that, right? Okay, now I'm going to go forward and live with integrity to please God, not them. I want to learn from them because maybe there's ways I'm not pleasing God. But, but then my goal is not going to be to please, please people. We will end up making ourselves slaves to pleasing people if we try to do that. Uh, but, but I, you know, that's always going to end up coming back to bite us. Well, I appreciate especially that last part you said where we want to listen we want to, you know, is there truth in what they have to say? Well, you know, whoever your critics might be, um, but at the same time, not to be paralyzed by that or or constantly chasing after it. That there is this real role for wisdom, as uh, Jesus kind of closes off this section. That um, you know, wisdom will be proven right by those who live it. But rather than go into that, I'd much rather invite you to pray for us. Today. All right, well, let's pray. God, we're thankful for your word, and we're thankful for the reminders, these truths that we hear each day, these reminders that we live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world. We are broken people in a broken world. God, we want you to lead us to life. God, I pray that just like Jesus answered John the Baptist, when we come to you with our own fears, God, I pray that you would speak to us. Lord, tell us the truth. God, receive us as your children. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us again once uh, for joining us once again. And I pray that you will join us again tomorrow. We're going to see Jesus speaking to yet another person who's uh, perhaps discouraged by their life circumstances. So uh, go in peace. <laughs>